0: Excuse me. Thank you for inviting me to your pulpit again. (laughs) If I could drink the water down, it would be better. Such a joy to be with you and hear such lovely music. Several years ago, I was sitting at Christmas Eve Mass with my spouse and his family. I was churchless and directionless, knowing I could not return to where I came from, but also uncertain of where I was going. Although I had felt the call to Unitarian Universalist ministry, I had not yet acted on my call. I knew it would be years of work and starting over in a new church community and a new denomination. The task was daunting, and I was afraid, afraid of rejection. So there I sat in that Catholic church, watching the ritual unfold like the intricate, centuries-old performance and meaning-making that it is. Profoundly moved by the multitude of people from all walks of life, and from all parts of the world, kneeling and standing and kneeling and standing and reciting over and over incantations, which were likely in one of those books sitting in front of me, but as an outsider, I wasn't sure where to look. And for a brief time, I was caught up in the moment. I toyed with the idea of continuing my work as a teacher, joining the Catholic Church, making my in-laws happy, and avoiding my call altogether. Then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I couldn't become Catholic, and not because there was anything wrong with being a Catholic. I could not become a Catholic because I am a heretic. <laughs> I wrote a published master's thesis on why the Methodist Church should incorporate non canonical Christian scripture into their worship. This was not going to work. <laughs> From the beginning of our evolutionary process, we humans have been a tribal people. We have banded together with like-minded folks, whether to hunt bison, gather around the campfire, or put on all black and go protest the actions of our state legislators. This uh, past week, as we were driving into GA, my family and I were caught in a taxi cab where the taxi driver was forcing us to listen at a loud volume to the musings of Rush Limbaugh. And I was just hoping and praying he was breaking all speed limits to get me to GA. (laughs) At some point, likely to diversify the gene pool and ensure our genetic success, we decided we wanted to band together with other tribes. And so we created institutions. In creating institutions, we were forced to create the rules by which we lived with one another, rules which have the potential to live on long after we are gone. This process is at times difficult and has even been deadly, as compromise in the midst of heated discussions is difficult. Just look at our state capitol over the past couple months to see this process in action. Institutions are part of each of our lives, from our family structures, to our workplaces, to our community at large. These institutions may have a positive or negative connotation for most of us, but for most of institutions, there are a plethora of emotions and a mixture of positive and negative connotations. Some individuals, due to the considerable influence they have had on other people, seemingly become institutions all on their own. One such person was Juana Inés de la Cruz. Her first name is spelled J-U-A-N-A but I refer to her as Juana Ines throughout the sermon. She was born the illegitimate daughter of a Spanish captain and a native woman near Mexico City many, many years ago. Juana Ines is considered Mexico's first prophet and playwright, and she is so revered in Mexico that her birthplace is named in her honor and her face adorns the 200-peso bill. Can you imagine a woman's face on paper money? Recently, Netflix made her story into a multi-episode TV series simply called Juana Inés. Netflix's summary of the series is as such. Juana Inés de la Cruz a powerful feminist nun involved in a forbidden love affair with a woman faces oppression in 17th century Mexico. And it is all based on truth. Without spoiling the plot, Juana Inés is a precocious child who follows her sister to school. She learns to read and write She sneaks into her grandfather's library and reads voraciously, both books deemed acceptable by the Catholic Church and those which have been banned. Her aunt and uncle raise her in the privileges of their status and send her to live with the viceroy of New Spain, whose wife, the vicerine, is impressed by Juana Inés' wit and knowledge. Eventually, the men in her world send her to a convent, first to one that tries to beat the independent thought from her, literally, and then to a convent devoted to studying and writing. Now cloistered and in an environment where she has little else to do, She writes as much as possible and receives the accolades of her friends back at court and all over the world. Within the Catholic Church, however, Juana Inés struggles to be appreciated for her compassionate and controversial theological beliefs. Many in her religious community betray her personally at some point, and eventually, she is given the choice to either leave the convent, have the freedom to publish her works and live with her friends in luxury and court, or to hand over her vast library, remain in the convent, and commit to stop writing. Given the choice between the freedom and convent, Juana Inés chooses to remain in the convent. Despite all the drama, the betrayals, the triangulation, the manipulation, Juana Inés chooses to remain part of the institution. Because for her, the actions of a few do not represent the entire Catholic Church. And certainly, Not her faith and devotion. Watching this series as the controversies began to burst forth in our own church was especially provocative for me. Our Unitarian Universalist Association president resigned over a hiring decision four months before General Assembly. More top leaders of our organization resigned. Recently, Reverend Don Southworth, the executive director of the UU Ministers Association, stepped down for a series of letters sent in such a contentious resignation that it was deemed by multiple parties that he should not even come to General Assembly this year. Our congregations and ministers have since been very intentional about discussing issues of race, and the conversations and the controversy continue. Some of the conversations have been civil. In the midst of this, we learned that a beloved minister at another congregation had been arrested. Persons from this community may have volunteered at his congregation or supported fundraising. Many of our clergy were students in his classes. The sense of betrayal and heartache for our own denomination has been pervasive of late. What was the first institution that let you down? Was it your family, your school, your workplace, your church, your neighborhood? The first institution that disappointed me was school. I was in first grade. As the rest of my class learned to read, Using phonics, which I didn't understand, I would daydream and stare out the window. Once every couple of weeks, my teacher would make me stand at the front of the class while she pulled out every untouched worksheet from my desk and scream at me about why I didn't do my work. I daydreamed then, too. What no one understood at the time, including my own parents, was that I already knew how to read, and books had given me the escape I needed to make it through that moment. For some children, even perhaps for some of you, that trauma would have discouraged them from ever trying again. Fortunately for me, my second-grade teacher was as sweet as a cupcake, and I loved every minute in her classroom. LaVon Worsick tried her best to position each phonics lesson based on a food, and despite all that, I still don't quite understand, but she gave it a college try. (laughs) Our denominational history shows that we can endure any storm. Several decades of compromise between the Unitarians and the Universalists led us to our combined church. While it was not a perfect merger, the Universalists did not disappear. They continued to inform the UUA and its churches. The Universalists had attempted to merge with other denominations before, but it was the Unitarians and the Universalists together who were able to create a new institution where both of their values were supported. Disappointment and betrayal in adulthood often bring up in us the many emotions and responses from our childhood. When we face disappointment in an institution, we are tempted to respond in the same ways we responded to those initial disappointments as children. One of the benefits of our UU faith is the opportunity to learn from all of the world's wisdom traditions in how they respond to controversy and disagreement. When Jesus was asked to pronounce judgment on the adulterous woman, he said nothing, but instead bent over and drew in the sand, listening to their accusations and eventually advising the crowd. The Buddha, who came from a tradition which encouraged debate, wanted his followers to practice truthful speech and loving speech in all of their debates. Juana Ines teaches us another possible response. When offered the freedom to study and write without restriction, to publish and circulate her writings, and live a life of luxury in court, she chose to remain cloistered with her sisters, with the studies that were her lifeblood. Ultimately, despite the betrayal by certain sisters and difficulties caused by others, she wanted to be in community and stay within the boundaries of her faith. Despite her intimate connections with a church known for its inquisitions, oppression of women and persons of color, oppressive theology, All powerful leadership and so much more, Juana Ines knew that her church was made up of the people who were a part of it, and she focused her love on the people. This year's General Assembly was fraught with much tension leading up to the event. We all wondered what would happen to our beloved community. I'm glad to report that conversations happened. Tears were shed, hugs were given, no answers were decided, and the work of the greater church continues. I was so inspired to see the banner for your church at General Assembly, a banner which simply reads, There is Hope in Tulsa. For Tulsa and Tulsa's UU churches in particular to grapple with issues of race, wrestling with Tulsa's history and current struggles, your work on racial justice is a model for the rest of the country. There is hope in Tulsa. And in the midst of it all, your minister, Reverend Kathy Edwards, was celebrated for completing final fellowship, a culmination of years of study, reflection, and hard work, and you all should be celebrated for supporting her through it. Yes, we struggled at General Assembly over racial justice, and we also celebrated new ministers, elected our first female president of the UUA, Reverend Susan Frederick Gray, and shared ideas about how we, as you use, can continue the work to make the world a better place. Ultimately, we must rethink how we love people who attend our churches and how we love people in the community, changing what isn't working and celebrating what is. Your church is a smaller microcosm of our denomination, and there are likely smaller groups within this church that you value. Perhaps it is the choir, or a small group, or a lunch get-together. Institutions like our denomination are made through compromise and goodwill, but they can also create tension and disagreement. As we consider the ways we interact with the institutions in our lives, especially our own denomination, let us remember that what we love most about our church is the people who are a part of it. Rumi, the 13th century Muslim poet, wrote, The wound is the place where the light enters you. The wound is the place where the light enters you. I'm not sure if that is the case with every wound, but may it be so with our denominational wounds. May we care for ourselves when we are triggered by tough discussions. While we work on the necessary evolution of our denomination, May we love and care for the individuals who make up our liberal faith. Our pursuit of a common good is worth it.